Let's start. Namaste and good evening to all of you. I'm going to continue today with the commentaries on the Gospel of Luke, the words and the actions, the teachings of Jesus, how we can understand them from a yogic standpoint, some of the laws of the universe, And last week, we spoke about the famous parable of the great banquet. I remind you, I will read quickly just to remind the context. We had made some comments on it already, but there is more to say. Let's start from there. Jesus replied because some Jewish man told him some a fanatic formula, like, blessed is the man who can eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, you know, like, the Jews had this obsession, which they used in a selfish way, that at that time they were the chosen ones, and because they were the chosen ones, this guy is coming and saying, in the end it matters that if in the end you can eat at the table of God, and Jesus tells him, it's not always who you think. Even if you think that your place at the table of God is guaranteed, it actually is not. And he gives the following example. A certain man, who is God, was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another one said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, angry and ordered his servant. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Who are invited? The Jewish people who had the only monotheistic religion in the area of Europe, in the area of the Western Hemisphere, as we generally call it, the Western culture, they were the only monotheistic culture. And these people were invited, they were on the priority position. And then the strange thing happens that these people who were on the main guest list they meet with Jesus and they don't recognize him. And on the contrary, many of them say, crucify him, give us Barabbas, forget about this madman, you can have him, crucify. Like even the other way around, not only that they don't recognize him, but they just despise him in various ways. And then in the end of the day, they shall not be on the guest list because the master can get angry. Please understand what Jesus says is that the evolution of the planet Earth is a strange mixture between the destiny of one individual and the destiny of the planet. Like God 
had a plan. Tonight there will be a big feast. Like for example, it's the end of Kali Yuga and we are making a big graduation party. Then we start the new Yuga. Now it's graduation day. Now it's... Now we are talking about... Uh, one of the candles went out. I could see it. Uh, so God is having <clears throat> a plan. Will you give me that remote control so I take it off the candle? Press once on this button on the flap. Okay, that's good. Now it will come to you. You are in trouble. Just a second, small architectural inner design problems here. Like, try to understand, we live in a universe which is not built by us. As much as our universe is, I'm sorry, as much as our ego is offended by this, we are not at the level of our ego and personality. We are not the masters of our world. We cannot take final decisions. People cannot say we decide to detonate nuclear bombs and make the 13th world war and kill the planet, and the planet does not belong to you. The planet existed before you existed, and it's something which was offered to you for your evolution. Therefore, we are not truly in control. All these naive things that Greta Thunberg and a few other Asperger autists are going to save the planet is a nonsense, because the planet is in the hands of God. Nobody can save it or doom it. It's already in the hands of God and because of that it is saved. Only people who don't believe in an almighty universal consciousness can believe that they have a definitory influence. Ah, that you can have an influence because the divine wants <coughs> that the souls should play roles and then there appears a Napoleon and then there appears an Albert Einstein, and then there comes and visits the earth, even a Jesus. That's because God wanted it so, and had arranged it so. It's not a surprise, or it's not like, oops, now came Napoleon, passed by, and he spoiled, he spoiled my well-planned history of the earth. Not at all. On the contrary. So what I'm trying to say here is, that we live in a universe where there is a plan. And because there is a plan, God wants to fulfill that plan. And for God, every human being is a divine soul. And if God says, by the end of this, I want to have Shambhala full with 144,000 souls. And somebody tells him, but sir, there are only 143,000, we didn't manage, they didn't pass the exams, you know. There were 1,000 who didn't graduate. And the Divine says, I still want 144,000, so take those, boom, 
and they say, sir, but are they prepared? And God says, well, I'm almighty. And if I want them to be prepared, they are prepared. I just do like this and things are happening. And they say, but sir, you usually don't like to interfere in what's happening. And he says, yeah, usually I don't like to interfere. But now if my arm is twisted, I will interfere a little bit. Exactly like this. This man wanted to have a feast, a banquet. He made invitations. He said, how many people we have? A hundred places. Okay, I invite a hundred relevant people. They will be at my table. No, the Jews thought that they will be those 100 people at the table of God. And now God is coming to them in the form of Jesus and he invites them and they say, I'm busy. I just got some oxen to try and I can't come to your party. At which God gets angry and he says, I have bathed you in grace. I have given you the only monotheistic religion in this area. No, so you should have been so special and so sensitive and so reactive to me. And now where I'm sending Jesus to show you that it's here, the kingdom of God has arrived, it's here, it's at hand. You just say, give us another five months, we are busy right now. And he says, I'm getting angry. And if I'm getting angry... I'm sending the servants and say those 100 people or those 1,000 people that should be in Shambhala, I still want the full number because the banquet has been prepared. The food and the drinks have been prepared. I'm not going to throw them down the drain. And people say, but it's not really uh, fair. It doesn't matter. God has his own feeling of fairness and he simply says this must happen. The fact that a few egoistic people uh, put their heels, you know, they plug, plug, plug their heels, you know, and kind of, no, 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 not yet, five more days, five more months. God smiles and says, that's in your ridiculous belief that you can change something with me. I am the author of the universe and the generator of your souls. So it's my way or the highway. And thus, the Divine Consciousness simply says, if you don't want it, if anybody plays hard to get with God in one way or another, then know one thing from the very beginning. You are not irreplaceable. You can be replaced like this. There is a runner-up list. There is a waiting list which is huge. Anybody who steps down that list only shoots themselves in the foot. You are not, you cannot blackmail God. You cannot play games with God. You cannot play hard to get or anything. Either your reaction is 110% a yes, or if not, stand aside. There will be others who will do that. And that's exactly what has happened when Jesus, who was originally a Jew, the Jewish Messiah, a gift for the Jews, he became the Messiah of the whole planet and of the whole world, simply because the banquet had to be filled up. Please understand, for God, the collective goals are more important. The good of the many prevails over, and you say, but what happened to those people who may have been spiritually quite evolved and special? 
Nobody is taking their evolution away from them. Nobody is taking their good karma away from them if they have any. But it will be manifested at another time in another place. No? It, it will be manifested anywhere. Like God is not getting angry and say you shall never attend the banquet ever again. You will. But another time there will be another banquet where you will be invited again. And if you do the same mistake, then the same thing will happen to you until you learn to be snappy. Until you learn to answer to my call immediately. No, that's the way I want you to be. And thus, please remember, the individual can be not sacrificed because God is not sacrificing those people. The karma of the individual, the personal history of the individual, it can be reshuffled. It can be rearranged in another way because God does not have time to wait for the shenanigans of one's personality. Therefore, we have to be available. We, in the, our interaction with God, there is no place for playing hard to get or any other stupid things. That's where the ego will betray us immediately. Now, Jesus is telling to the rich man, because he says, how can I get eternal life? Like, what do you want more? Eternal. If you have eternal life, then you can move the universe on your finger. Eternal life, eternal. Try to think what eternal means. No? You have eternal life. You would have eternal life, which now most of you don't have. No, you can say, but my soul is eternal. But that's not the same thing with eternal life, which is enlightened consciousness and living in a continuity of consciousness and all that. You have a soul which when you fall asleep, you forget yourself and you go into a mysterious world where you dream and everything is chaotic and hard to understand. And that's not eternal life. Yeah. So uh, you have eternal life. I mean, you can, uh, Jesus is telling to this young man, no, you want eternal life? Sell everything you've got and come follow me. Two things. No? Sell everything you've got, give it to the poor and come follow me. And the uh, rich young man is not snappy. He doesn't go and say, yes, sir. Yes. Yes, Lord. Right now. No? Give me two days and I'm with you. No? He could have said and done that, but he was not snappy. He wanted to postpone because he wanted to keep something for himself. That doesn't work. Doesn't work with God. Doesn't work that way. We learn something because, you know, it's the same thing which happens in the evolution of everybody. Either you are a Jew from 2000 years ago or you are a yogi in the 21st century. The rules of the game are still the same. The divine consciousness is the same. The human being is the same. Now the story continues. This story of the banquet is a very stern warning not to take anything for granted with God because uh, he expects this participation. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It is to be presumed that the words of the last sentence were not exactly like this. 
because Jesus had never announced that he was going to be crucified. He had never announced the manner of his death. We don't know if he knew it or not. It's not being prophesied in the big Jewish prophets that the Messiah will come and be crucified. And that's why the metaphor that Jesus tells to the people, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be his disciple. I personally feel that this statement is adjusted after his resurrection. After his resurrection, when his crucifixion became the salvation of mankind, when his crucifixion turned into resurrection, and this crucifixion plus resurrection became the salvation of mankind, then to carry your cross became an act of glory. It became the act through which God, in the person of Jesus, saved humanity, blessed humanity, redeemed humanity, and therefore everybody would be asked to walk in the footsteps of God. And he says, everyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I personally believe that if Jesus mentioned and this last sentence is not somehow added, because remember that these people wrote the Gospels 20, 30 years after they lived with Jesus. In the case of Luke, Luke was a physician and I think he was the physician in the team of uh, Paul or of Peter or one of those. And therefore, he was not even a first-hand witness to what Jesus has said. He picked up the information from the apostles and from the people who have heard Jesus talk firsthand. And that's why uh, either it was misinterpreted or it was rendered to him in a slightly modified way. And he, in good faith, wrote it like this. But basically, the meaning of the last sentence is that Jesus says anyone who does not follow me in my manner cannot be my disciple. Like Jesus says, I came here with Anahata. I want you to come to God via Anahata. If you want to do martial arts and do Zazen and come to God via your Manipura, and that your Manipura is not that you are a knight of Christ, you are not for me still somewhere, somehow, then you cannot be my disciple. And people will say, but uh, Jesus, didn't some people come to enlightenment and to Shambhala without being directly your disciples? Jesus would shrug his shoulders and say, yes, I'm not the only person, the only source of enlightenment on this planet. Did Buddha Gautama who spent the time in meditation under the Bodhi tree in today's Bodh Gaya, did he come to me, he come to God via uh, Jesus' heart or via Jesus' teachings? No, he lived 500 and something years before Jesus and he applied another method, he had another path. So it's not that you cannot reach to enlightenment without Jesus, but especially after the year zero, or 33, whatever it is, when Jesus did these things, then automatically something got changed and Jesus becomes a very important presence. 
Please still remember, in the year 1200 when Milarepa lived in Tibet, we don't know if anybody in Tibet had even heard distantly about the fact that there was a land far, far to the west called Israel or Palestine and that in that country they had lived the incarnation of God on earth and all that. And still they could do meditation and reach states of samadhi and go. So Jesus is never absurdly stating that he is the only guru existing on this planet. But he says two things, for those of you who know me, for the history of the Western Hemisphere where everybody hears about me, I am meaningful because if you never heard about me you can go to God and simply say, hey, look, you never got me to hear about this Jesus that you have sent to earth and therefore it's not my guilt that I've never heard. No, I still have done meditation, practiced good karma, done a lot of other good things and therefore there, that's where I am. Yeah, so Jesus is not stating some absurd statements, not at all. And he says there are other methods. He doesn't say, now I have become the only lineage through which you can reach to God. Especially if you go in Tibet or in Zazen, Japan or you know, other things like that. So, but he says, if you do not go on this path which I have gone, then you are not directly my disciple, which is very mild. It's not threatening at all. But what he says before, it's very tough. This translation of the Bible, and you can look in others to see what word is used there. Jesus, who is telling, love your enemies and all that. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You have to hate. He doesn't say hate in the meaning of having the emotion of hate. He says hate with a completely different thing. It's like the person who gets influenced by aspiration, suddenly wants God and only God and exclusively God. And whatever is not God is like a delay, like a distraction, like something else. And then you hate it. Buddha ran away from his father, mother, wife, ch child. And people could ask him, Buddha, what's the matter with you? Have you gone mad? Do you hate your family? And Buddha would say, right now, my family is like a lodestone to my neck and I cannot move as fast as I want. I cannot fulfill my quest. I cannot fulfill my search because I want to give it the whole hand and the family is hanging right here. So I kind of hate them, but I don't hate them because they are bad. I simply hate them because they hold me, they slow me down and I don't want them right now. So this hate is not like hating something or somebody for destruction. It's like hating it, like right now I want to spread my wings and fly. And later, later I can come back and try to fly with you, try to teach you to fly. But right now it's my time, right now 
it's my momentum right now it's my aspiration and so please do not delay my aspiration everything which is a delay to one aspiration is making one angry peter of damascus a christian later saint he speaks about love and he says that you have to love god with all your soul which also means the fiery part of your soul and he says the fiery part of the soul is that part which opposes to anything which delays or hinders his union with God. Like when the spiritual seeker is prevented from united with God, that generates a fiery reaction which resembles with anger. Like God in the banquet was getting angry because there was his plan to enliven the world, to make the matter conscious, to make the dust breathe and speak, to create the universal life. And God saw that his plan was delayed because people were not coming to his banquet. So what did God do? God got angry. Yeah, This anger exists in the soul of the human being. And we're not talking about the absurd, irrational anger with which people justify the frustrations in their own ego. I've always been afraid like a chicken and now I want to take revenge on the whole world and I'm angry. You should slap yourself and humble yourself because you've been a chicken for all your life and now you want to take revenge on the whole world and scream and go to psychotherapy and beat a pillow and go like Aah! and so on, you know, just because you have been a stupid chicken all your life. No, that anger is just a frustration of your ego and you could as well give it to God. You could speak to God and say, God, I will pray to you for the next two years, every minute, every night, every day. I'm giving you my anger. Look, I honestly, sincerely feel so frustrated, feel so angry. I have been a chicken. I have betrayed my soul. I never spoke out. I have never been myself. I lost a lot of opportunities. I have been crawling like a worm through the dust. And now my ego feels like, hey, why didn't I paint the Sistine Chapel like Michelangelo? Why didn't I do this? Why did I do that? You know, and the angels are telling me because you've been a chicken, because you are stupid, because you are an idiot, because, and this makes me even more angry because the anger is, the truth is disturbing me. No, and what should I do? You should offer it to God and say, God, you know, this is how I have been all my life. I've been a chicken and afraid and this. I'm giving it to you, you know, I'm just humbly asking for a place in your banquet. I'm humbly, I'm just humbly asking for the most modest place in your kingdom of heaven. I'm just asking to catch the last train. I know that I'm not worthy. Otherwise, I wouldn't, my soul wouldn't have waited till the end of Kali Yuga to fulfill the last seats in Shambhala or in the kingdom of heaven or whatever it is that I'm going, you know? Why am I not enlightened like Abhinavagupta a thousand years ago? Why am I not enlightened like Patanjali two thousand years ago? Why am I not enlightened like Moses three thousand years ago? Why did I have to wait? Why? How many lives I have lived 
and I have done stupid things. And when I think about it, I feel like I want to destroy myself. You know, I am so angry at my... This anger is a misunderstanding. This anger is the anger of the egoistic person who thinks that if they do psychotherapy and they beat a tree or they beat a pillow, they are going to make peace with God. But they are not going to make peace with God. To make peace with God, you have to humble yourself and you have to give all your emotions to God. Say, look, honestly, I'm praying to you. I do love you. And at the same time, I feel a lot of anger to myself, to the whole world. I feel so frustrated. I wasted my life. Now I'm 60 years old. I cannot achieve anything more or much more anyway. What am I going to do? And all that. That's a misunderstanding through prayer, by surrendering, by consecrating everything to God. Then you can sublime and transmute and have the alchemy of something. Not by beating a pillow or by beating a tree. The psychotherapy is going horizontally here, trying to replace one thing with another thing. No? But it's without end because that does not solve the existential dilemmas. Every person who has been in a workshop of self-transforming, if you look back and say, how many people do I have to forgive? How many people harm me? Oh, how many regrets I have? How many things I did not achieve? How many? You know, when you are uh, 60 years old or something, there are lots of such things. Lots. Maybe not for Jesus because he never made it to 60 and he achieved everything at the age of 33 and then he gloriously raised to heaven. Or maybe not for Milarepa, maybe not for Shankaracharya who passed away at 32. But for most of us, life is full of things which we would have wished to fulfill and we did not fulfill. No, either because some of them were impossible and foolish dreams or because some of them we were karmically prohibited or hindered hard or because of a lot of reasons, including the fact that God simply wanted to test us by teasing us constantly for tens of years to see how do we react. And then our only solution is to put our head down and to love God, being humble and to consecrate everything to God. And that's why the, when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. No, when you go like Milarepa or when you live like those people in Vadikeld in Palestine, without water, without food in the desert, eating manna like the Jews, you know, it's like you are hating your own life because you, you are suicidal. You are practicing spirituality in a self-destructive way. Like you don't care about anything. You know, you say, if I die searching for God, I die searching for God. It doesn't matter. If he wants me alive, he will keep me alive. I don't commit suicide, but I don't spare myself at all in this effort. It's a completely different shade there. It's not of having suicide. There is this story of the Zen monk. There is a documentary about the Zen monk who was a novice in a monastery and he was asked to sleep three, four hours per night and he was reaching at complete exhaustion and he decided to commit suicide by sleeping just one hour per night or almost not at all. And instead of reaching to suicide, 
he reached to his first state of samadhi. Maybe you can find that wonderful documentary and see it. It's called the story of a Zen monk or something like that. And I'm telling you all these, all these things for you to understand that it looks like you hate your family, you hate the people who hold you back, you hate even your body who wants you to have sex and to eat and to sleep, you hate your own life because Jesus is talking here about an amazing Ishvara Pranidana, an amazing surrender, an amazing aspiration by which the disciple is like everything which is in my way makes me like on fire. Like Peter of Damascus says, no, I am on fire if something is keeping me away from God. No delay, no obstacle, I want to go there. So, Jesus is very shocking. Remember this statement coming from a man of love and forgiveness and the heart chakra. And he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Like he means you should love God more than all those things. If you ever have to choose between God and your children, you should choose God. Your aspiration should be bigger. Remember that one of the very first patriarchs of Judaism was asked by God, in his own head to sacrifice his own child to God. And he was about to put the knife inside him when God appeared to him and he said, whoa, whoa, chill out. It was just a test to test you if you would go that far for me. But he would have gone that far. As horrendous as that sounds to the politically correct people of today, he would have gone that far. And that's why I'm telling you all this because Jesus is explaining how it is with having a seat at the banquet of God. And then Jesus is telling to people, you want to be my disciple? Do you know what it takes? And he says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Of course, he probably did not use literally the thing about the cross at that time. But later, his apostles they turned it a little bit because his example had been clear. He had carried his cross and he had been crucified and followed a path of self-sacrifice. And he continues with another parable which is related to these ideas which he follows here. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower like the rising of Kundalini. Yeah? Build a tower like the Tower of Babel where people were trying to reach to heaven, to God, by building a tower. So the metaphor exists in the Bible, building a tower, rising. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. What is the evaluation of the cost? The evaluation of the cost is the aspiration. Jesus says you will start building a tower, but do you have what it takes to build this tower? 
No, but it's not too dark to film. Turn it off. It will take more because it has four, four steps. Try one more. And one more. Okay, leave it there. Let's see. So, look how well, you know, it's almost like here he speaks like a Capricorn. You know, very pragmatic. He says, you want to build a tower, which is your tower of God, yeah? Which is your inner tower. Your Eiffel Tower, which goes to God. Will you not first examine the cost? If he lays the foundation and doesn't finish it, isn't it a fiasco? This fellow began to build or was not able to finish. Like, you know, you want to be a monk in a monastery. Will you be able to finish? Will you go all the way? Because this is a serious decision. You want to do yoga and meditation like Buddha. What if Buddha, after five years, he would have said, Nah, I don't have the stomach for this. I saw the dying man, the sick man, the old man, and I thought how horrible life is so full of pain and all that stuff. And I thought I would find a solution to the human suffering and that I will find, you know, I will become the Buddha. I will become enlightened. And in the end, now I discover that I don't have the stomach. I, I want to go back to my wife and to my kid and all that. Isn't that a fiasco? You upset your family. You disturb the social order. God knows what has happened in the five years you have been absent. You'll go home and you find that they disinherited you. Your wife may have married another man. Okay, it was not really happening like this in old India. But I'm just saying it almost like in the 21st century. A lot of your child could have died of meningitis or something like, you know, like what are you doing? What have you been doing? Why did you run away in the jungle to try to, to, try to do something spectacular just to discover that you don't have the stomach for it? So Jesus says, is your aspiration ready? Because he gives marks. No, he says, you have to love me, God, more than your mother and father and then wife and child and even more than your body and life. Are you ready to give up your reputation, your name, your, you know, for this? When it was, when the scandal of Agama was, some people said, it will spoil my reputation. Sure, you love your reputation more than you love your path to God. Or, of course, the demon makes that some people said, maybe I can put it in my mind that this is not my path to God, because then I can give it up more easily, because it at stake is my reputation. No, but that's just a trick of the demons to make you let go more easily. No? This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So with yoga, it is the same. You can learn a little bit of yoga to do some physical things. You can learn aspects of healing in yoga. You can learn aspects of gymnastics of yoga. You can learn aspects of uh, uh, relaxation through yoga or this or that. But the question is, are you ready to leave your mother, father, children, wife? physical body, reputation, and everything to go to God. And then again, people can use this excuse. People say, well, 
if you are asking for that much, then you know, Swamiji, I have to be sure that that is my path to God. Hey, I can understand that you are not convinced about Swami Vivekananda Sarasvati or you are not convinced about Agama. But are you convinced about Milarepa? Are you convinced about Shankaracharya? Are you convinced about Ramakrishna? Are you convinced about Jesus? Their paths still exist today. If you would say, I would like to give my body and my family away and everything for God, and I just, the problem is that Agama and Swami Vivekananda Sarasvati, they look like unreliable places to put, to risk everything on it. But then you should take it from Agama and take it to a Christian monastery. You should take it from Agama and take it to a Vedantic ashram. You should take it and put it somewhere. Because otherwise, it appears that the actual truth was that there was not enough aspiration for any of those. At least if there would be for one of those to put the aspiration. Jesus is very tough. He says, if you come to me and you don't hate your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, he cannot be my disciple. And then he comes with this pragmatic thing. Why did you start building a tower if you don't have enough bricks for that tower? How stupid do you have to be? Any calculated person says, I will build this tower until I die. Only death can stop me from building this tower. I will build it with my own poop. I will take my poop and mix it with dust and make bricks out of dung and I will still build the tower. I will build this tower, whatever it takes, you know. That's the real aspiration, that's the real going to God. And he gives, he continues with these examples. He says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Like these are his terms. He says, my 20,000 men are that you have to give up everything. And if you are not ready to do that, you cannot be my disciple. Yeah? He, his terms are very tough. No? He simply says, I take only those that have the full aspiration. No? He says, if you feel that you cannot be my disciple, don't come close. Don't come close. Don't worry. God will feel, God will find some beggars on the street who will be turned into, like he found... Peter and John, and who were just fishermen, illiterate people, and he found them and he made them into the pillars of the spirituality which came for the next 2000 years. And thus, it's like the problem, he says, is like don't estimate wrong. If you have aspiration, come and live according to that aspiration. If you start finding excuses, 
he says, no, you can see that Jesus is so pure, so puristic. He is so much not a hypocrite. He doesn't like hypocrisy at all. He says, you really want to give it a try? Come, give it a try. No? But don't play this game half-hearted or pretending. This is what he was re reproaching to the Pharisees, to the zealots, to the uh, learned people, to, the, you know, to all these Jewish sects which were having forms of falseness. Jesus wants authenticity, wants 110% the heart. And this was actually, if people looked at history, they will know it to be true because that's what the Jewish God had always done in this monotheistic religion. If people were ready to give up everything, then he would give himself to them completely. If not, then God would see through people's egoism and holding back. So he says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And people say, okay, I cannot be his disciple. Let me go and do uh, Milarepa's yoga. There you have to practice the same thing. Anywhere you go to God, it's not about Jesus. It's about giving 110%. That's what is required from you. And he uses this famous parable of the salt when he says, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for to be sold nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is the saltiness? Because he tells the people, you are the salt of the earth. Like there is the spiritual power in you, there is the Holy Spirit, and there is the aspiration. And he says, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It cannot. If it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, it is thrown out. Therefore, he simply says, come and be my disciple. I'm not going half measure here. I'm not making compromises. If you really love God, with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your might, then that's what I want. This is how spirituality is. Yes? And if not, if people realize that that's not their path, then they have to find a way, another way. A karma yoga, a social integration, a social service of some sort, of some other sort. Because I can see that there are people who are ready to take care of hungry families in this island, of hungry children in Africa, of all sorts of social injustice, and some of them have given their lives for that purpose. There are people who died martyrdom defending hung hungry children in Africa. Well, so people do have the power to actually live for something. They have saltiness. Their salt is salty, which means they have the power in themselves. So Jesus simply says, find out if you want to have it for me, 
directly like prayer, asceticism, this or that, or if not, what else you can do? What can you do? How will you manifest your longing for God, your longing for infinity, your longing for eternal life? It is, it, if the salt is not good, not strong enough, it is thrown out. Very tough, like the tree that does not produce fruit. If the tree doesn't produce fruit, cut it and put another tree. Maybe the second one will yield some fruit. And he says it, just knowing that he is telling something terrible. He says, he who has years to hear, let him hear. You know, like, I know that this is extreme, but you must hear. And he is going to another event. We are entering in paragraph into chapter number 15, where he says, Now the tax collectors and sinners, in inverted commas, were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinner and eats with them. Which is where Jesus told them the famous parable of the lost sheep. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in on the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's basic psychology. You want to do spiritual psychology, that's where it is. In the same way, you can say that many people who were supposed to go to God at the time of Jesus, from the Jewish community, most of them, and who missed that train, they became lost sheep. And when they come back, God is very happy to meet them again. They are the lost sheep. That's why psychologically, they are souls whose destiny takes them on a straight path. And that's it. But look at Milarepa. Milarepa was a murderer, an angry black magician, a terrible person. And then he repented. He repented really hard, and it was not easy. And then the gift which was given to Milarepa was bigger than the gift given to most of the yogis in Tibetan history, because he was the lost sheep, and that lost sheep produced in the divine consciousness some joy, an extra amount of joy. I'm not saying that you should learn from this the wrong part, which means that uh, uh, you should get lost so that God will be... Because if you get lost, then God will replace you. First thing which you will do, He will replace your seat at the table. Like that game cannot be played consciously and deliberately because then it becomes a miserable, diabolic attempt to manipulate God or to twist the arm of God and it should not be done. You should honestly put all your spiritual aspiration 
in the service of your spiritual practice, of your spiritual quest. But even then, some people can be deluded by Maya, like Buddha being tested by Mara. And if one gets lost in the labyrinth by being deluded, I have seen lots of souls deluded in my life, along my life, not only in this last crisis of Agama, but all along these years. And if the, a soul is lost, then remember, it will be found again, sooner or later. God will always find you and bring you back, and there will be great joy. That's why when some people come to yoga, come to spirituality, many of them in the past were lost souls, lost sheep. And then when they start doing, and a lot of wonderful things happen to them, and they feel a lot of grace, and a lot of warmth is coming into their heart, because actually they are the lost sheep, and God is very happy. So he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's not that those 99 people are wrong. They go straight and straight is straight. And then suddenly there is the number 100 who is like the fool from the tarot deck of cards, the madman. No, there is the one, like in the seven samurai of Kurosawa, there is one who is crazy, a bit crazy, and not even knowing if he is a samurai, the trump card, the loose card, no? which is exactly what makes the difference. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What can be more clear than this? It's not that the other nine coins are without value. The other nine coins are in the kingdom of heaven. They are in the box. They are safe. But sometimes... In this universe of God, there is this X factor, there is this mysterious thing that some souls have. How many yogis have done straightforward yoga in Tibet? Many. And how many have been like Milarepa, that before doing yoga, they killed people or they were in a terrible situation? Not many. How many people have betrayed their master, like Peter, saying, no, I don't know this Jesus, fuck off, he's not with me, and so on, you know, and then repented and acted in a powerful way all his life. Therefore, there are people, in, even in spirituality, who have exceptional destinies, and those are like giving color, it's like the salt, the salt and pepper. You can have a great food, but only when you add the salt and pepper, then the savor of that food is delicious. Now you can say, but wasn't it good? Yeah, the food, 99% of the food is the bulk. But then there come the spices. 
and there are some people whose existence is exactly like those spices. And he's talking about this psychology. And um, he's giving here the famous parable of the lost son, which is all of them are just the same. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son. Now applied for human beings, it comes like logical. And that's the famous prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. That's the man lost in samsara. That's the man lost in maya. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to, the to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men, not sons, the hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. He didn't want to be a son. That's like people who don't believe in monism and non-dualism. They say, I have to be hung, I have to be humble. I'm just a servant of God. I'm a creature. I'm separate. I'm not worthy to call myself a divine soul or something like this. It's healthy. In the beginning, the prodigal son feels the same because he is humble. He is humbled by his mistakes. He is humbled by his errors. He is humbled by the lost time and the lost resources which he had. But he still is the son. Everyone is the Shiva consciousness. But in the beginning, you would follow a dualistic path and say, you know what, I want to be the servant of God. God has debased me. I'm not a son anymore. I'm just not from the family of God, not from the blood of God. I am just a servant. Let him hire me as a servant. Like most dualistic religions, call people slaves of God, servants of God. May the servant of God, Oscar, be blessed. Or whatever formulas are used. No? One is called Krishna Das. That means servant of Krishna. Das, Dasa, Das is servant in Bengali and in that part of India. No? So people are called the servant of Krishna. Ram Das, the servant of Ram. And all those. No? That's the dualistic religion in which people are becoming humble and they are saying, you know what, I don't think I can still be the son of God. But you are. But that's at least a positive reaction which is produced by one's humbleness, by one's repentance. So remember, one in Maya may have a lot of promises and may have a great time and say, ah, I had a wild time, and then it's over. It's always over. This illusion never gives you anything permanently. Samsara is just luring you, and in the end, it's misery. No, he says clearly, I would eat the food of pigs. 
like the human being would go down to animal level, would become animalistic. No? And then he says, even the servants of my father have food to spare. No? Like, why not be happy like the people from Shambhala? Why not be happy like the servants of God? No? At least they have grace. They have happiness. So he decided to repent. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arm around him and kissed him. You are coming back to God. God is running from a long distance to you. That's why some of you have wonderful results as soon as you get humble and you start practicing. Because you are the prodigal son coming back home. And God is coming to you. Like he doesn't even let you do all. You still need to practice 20 years of yoga before you can have a hug from me. It's okay, you know. It's like grace is pouring abundantly. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, he's not becoming cheeky because he saw God running to him. And he said, oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe, you know, he didn't become arrogant again. His humbleness was authentic. It was the real deal. He keeps it. He has, he is a spine. He is, no, he is honorable. He says what he proposed to say from the very beginning. He says, Father, I've been a jerk. I'm a sinner. I don't even dare to be called your son. Take me as a servant, which would be good enough. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So for God, this repentance, this coming back is super important. Remember that in a certain way, we are all prodigal sons. Even you can say, um, is it a bad modification? I touched it a little bit. Does it survive? Okay. So, uh, we are all prodigal sons because we have all been lost for a million years in samsara and now we are coming back. Why didn't we come back from the first day? The first time when you've been a human being in a human body with a human brain, You've said, what am I doing in this world? I am the son of God. I have to go back. I'm lost from my father. No, you have had wild life. You have lived riotously. No, you have enjoyed uh, going away from God and being away and living in this forgetfulness. No? And therefore, even the people who are straight spiritually, like they go straight there, even those you don't know after how many thousands of lifetimes they are going straight. Not to mention that one like Milarepa is a hundred times more colorful and wild and does something really, really crazy. But even those who seem to be very straightforward, they are also prodigal sons. Everybody is a prodigal son because nobody comes back to Nirvana after one life spent as a human being. Buddha said he remembered 10,000 lifetimes. So if, to, if it took Buddha 10,000 lifetimes, 
what does it take to each and every human being? So, of course, it's happening when you are prepared. So, God, who knows the reality, he says, nonsense. Now it's time to celebrate. This one came back. And when he comes back, there is a celebration. Paramahamsa Yogananda says that his guru tells him that when some souls reach to the fundamental liberation up there in Hiranyaloka or other cosmical spheres, there are huge celebrations. And even God appears in symbolic forms to celebrate. Because one soul who was lost for thousands of lifetimes has returned back to eternal life, to continuity of consciousness and eternal life. And he says, we know that this is producing misunderstanding because now it's the opposite. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. This is not like uh, the people from Shambhala will get angry at you because you got it too easy. Because they understand this cosmic law. Here he is a symbol of the people who don't understand the paradoxical path. Like why did Peter, who was a stupid fisherman, who also was a coward and denied Jesus three times, and God knows what other stupid things he did while he was with Jesus. Why did Jesus, why did Peter deserve to be called, you know, that he has the kingdom of heaven, he has the keys to the kingdom of heaven by the promise of Jesus? How did he deserve that? How did 12 Jews from Galilee deserve to become the apostles of Christ and be so super important for this planet? when they were not the biggest yogis who have lived on the face of this earth. No? And that's why they may create a certain competitiveness. And Jesus says, you don't understand God. And that's why you think in your own way. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out. Like, of course, God is always wise. And he says, what's happening? You know, it's like, I'm happy that I found my son and my brother, my other son, is not happy that he found his brother. It's not only the love of God for man and of man for God. It's also the love of man for man. The horizontal arm of the cross. So his father went out. Like God is having a problem being humble. And pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look all these years I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Even as above, so below. If the woman is happy to found the tenth coin which she had lost, while the other nine are safe in the box, the same thing with the lost soul. Sometimes the finding of the lost soul produces a great joy. Remember, everybody is a lost soul. 
And that's why for everybody there is a celebration and Jesus wants to uh, prevent this thing. Maybe somebody got enlightened 3000 years ago and they have been constantly with God. And there is somebody who gets enlightened in 2020. And those who have been enlightened for 3000 years, they say, we've been working all this time in Shambhala for this planet. And now this last one comes and there is a party for him. But he's just a novice. He's just the last one who caught the train. And the Divine Consciousness says, isn't it natural to be happy that one more has lost the soul, that one more has caught the train, that one more has recovered their soul, and one more has come to God? It's a relative thing. In the world of relativity, this exists. In the world of stability, everything is oneness. But remember, God is oneness and God is multiplicity at the same time. So, these were all parables about coming back to the Divine and we are all in this position, in this special position where we have been lost, we are coming back, there is a great joy, there is a great celebration for us. And remember, nobody's place is guaranteed now. Jesus is speaking about this thing that you have to make efforts. You have to live out your aspiration. There is no better time than now. And if you feel that you cannot go in a cave and live like Milarepa, then don't try because you are like the man who tries to build a tower and he has no materials for it. You have to build whatever you can build. You have to find out what your aspiration is for. You have to find, you don't have to live in the shoes of Peter or Milarepa or Rumi or Ramakrishna. You have to live in your own shoes. And that's why it's very important to evaluate correctly who you are and what you can do and what is producing the spiritual aspiration and the spiritual fulfillment for you. If it's more karma yoga, if it's more singing for God, if it's more devotion, if it's pure knowledge, if it's loneliness, if it is working for the planet Earth, if it is physical, working with the body, if it is sexual yoga, if it is whatever it is, that's what you have to do. You have to find your path into those fields. With this, let us conclude for tonight. We have gone through wonderful teachings from Jesus and I hope next week we can continue in the same beautiful way. Thank you all for joining tonight and with this, done for this day.